0: So you're right, that kind of structure where I'm the only one, ooh, you're really flirting with burnout.
1: Welcome to the Inspiro podcast, the podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future.
0: Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're gonna be exploring a lot of topics and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be
1: dental advice or counseling advice. So I think that leads us to disappointment. Again, I have some personal experience with this. In, and I think part of this comes from the culture of dentists or practice owners have been taught to take responsibility. And okay. so disappointment is partly a disappointment in myself
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I couldn't elicit the change that I wanted. And so I was taught that if that doesn't happen, then it's my fault because I'm the owner, I'm the leader. And then disappointment in the team for not doing what I wanted or what we agreed upon. Yes. And so I think there's three things there. There's disappointment in myself, maybe taking too much responsibility, but realizing that I do have some. Two is disappointment in the team (laughs) for two different branches. One mm-hmm. is there are circumstances where things should be because I say so. And there's yeah. also times where things there's shared decision-making. And so then we have more accountability and responsibility that has to be discussed.
0: Not only that, that wider accountability and responsibility – is usually what prevents us from burning out most of the folks that i go practice owners who are burning out will tell me it's like i'm the only one with the responsibility so you're right that kind of structure where i'm the only one, ooh, oh you're really flirting with burnout mm-hmm. the ones where it's like well in this appropriate place i, I send it to the team the team all you know, made a decision. We all made a decision together about how this was going to change. Well, then it's everybody doing some heavy lifting, not just me.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so good. So you're you're alluding there to where I was going next with the office. That is a single owner. (coughs) And that owner is feeling that pressure of being the owner. One solution is to elevate the team, to bring the team up and distribute responsibility, delegate some things and that takes some challenging conversation and experimentation. Like they have to be allowed to fail, to learn, to, to be elevated. So I, th- I think getting your feedback on that version, but then there's also, that might be one of the benefits of joining a group practice of some sort, whether yeah. that's with a partnership, where it's just a couple people that own an office, or even a DSO where yeah. you are, an employee in an office, but you have ten other offices and doctors and a support team that are helping to manage. That, with appropriate communication, can be an awesome tool for alleviating some of that stress of being the only one.
0: Actually, I think that's the secret why many one of the one of the reasons many dentists are going uh, corporate. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some of it is the financial structure and whatever. But I think a big part of it is I don't want to have to make all these decisions.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Or at least I don't want that sense of guilt and responsibility. Um, You're bright guys. You can can make those decisions. So it's it's not a capability problem. It's just day after day making these ownership decisions is just wearing me down. Mm
1: -hmm. Especially if you go through a phase where it's not working
0: especially yes, yes. The other thing, and I'll say this, I' I'm, I'm gonna include myself on this. Most professionals are professionals, because we've gone through some training and it required a level of commitment to that training to get where we are. okay, just a fact. But one of the things that we start to use to get through that is we set goals we set our expectations around those goals and then we modify our behavior to achieve those goals. Sounds great. And I think if we're talking about one person going through dental school or one person going through counseling school, uh, that works great. But when you're trying to apply that whole thing to a team of people, now you have to be careful about those expectations those goals it's not as clean it's not as easy it's not as straightforward it's it's like well what are what are our goals what are our expectations and how much will these people dedicate uh, being a dentist you know that you can dedicate uh you know large portions of your life to becoming a dentist and becoming an excellent dentist because that's what it takes. That's what it took. You did it. You know, not everybody in your office may be willing to do it that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not a bad way to do it. It just may not work among a, a differentiated group of 10 people who are coming to work for you.
1: Yeah. Can you talk about how to manage disappointment? Ooh. Disappointment in ourselves or our team. Mm-hmm. And I'll I think- take a stab at it as well, but I'd love to hear your uh, professional opinion.
0: <laughs> I think the, the thing that I see most, both consulting and then also just in my counseling practice, um, is how much disappointment there is that is behind a lot of people feeling bad or uh, making behavioral mistakes with a team or whatever. I mean, disappointment is big. But a whole, one of the biggest first challenges is to be aware of our own disappointment because it can look like other things. Why am I so angry at this patient? If We've been working on this long-term project of sort of dental rehabilitation. I'm just getting pretty, you know, mm. frustrated, angry. What's going on? I was like, well, a good question is, Am I disappointed? Was I expecting more from me? Was I expecting more from them? Was I expecting more from the biology or or the materials? I mean, maybe I'm disappointed that I had something else in mind. But the way it comes to me is I'm angry at this person.
1: Hmm.
0: Or every time the, the assistant does that, it just really greets on my nerves. Well, wait a minute. Could that be about disappointment? Am I expecting something different or something bigger or something better? If it's that, and frequently it is, disappointment, then I have to say, what is keeping me from voicing my disappointment in a in a clearer and more positive way? I mean, right now, I'm just angry at the at the at the assistant at the chair side. She did that thing again. I just hate it when she does that thing. Well, Okay, I get it. You're disappointed and I appreciate that. Yeah, but that just doing that's not really going to help her change it. And so it's like, oh, maybe my anger, irritation, uh, wanting to distance myself from this patient or this team member is really about disappointment. And is there a way for me to start to communicate that? In a way that's actually going to get some action around it, rather than me just feeling that. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you you took my answer there in your answer, but it was I had one word and that was clarity. Clarity, and you explained it in much more depth than I would have. But uh, and you added to it. I was going to say uh, being clear about what it is we want and being able to express that to those that are involved. Uh, is, is critical. And I think you added on a layer there of self-awareness piece that I, I wasn't including that is critical to the whole equation. So that's, that's great. I think taking that step back and doing that exercise for yourself will help to clean up your disappointment
0: the other piece of that really helps with disappointment. Uh, and I'm I'm occasionally guilty of getting dental practice owners disappointed because we'll have some um hold on a second planning. hold on,
1: you're creating disappointment. Oh no. yes and I'm sadly
0: sadly I do sometimes because we have this strategic planning meeting and there are these lovely aspirations that we talk about sometimes for days so that people can imagine a better practice for themselves. That's actually a good thing. But one of the things about the human mind is, we're not always good at differentiating aspirational from practical. It's like, yeah, we've been imagining for two days at this retreat center, you know, your perfect practice. Well, yeah, but Monday, you're going to go back to the practice you actually have. Okay, and there's going kind to of, there's going to be a little disappointment. It's like, ooh, now I know more about what I want. As I know more about what I really want, I can see more and more stuff I don't like here. And so it's like, okay, so how good are you at being able to turn disappointment into a more creative force rather than destructive force?
1: So I have two things along those lines. So I agree with you. We run into that a lot with encouraging people to think big when thinking about their visions of the future for themselves, their offices, et cetera, the families. We don't do a good enough job of then working backwards from there to today to say, all right, what can I do tomorrow to get me one step closer to that aspirational vision? I think there is a gap there in our our time our messaging something and that's partly what creates the frustration mm-hmm. i think or disappointment etc sure. and the other place i see it is this is kind of a big tangent but maybe related when we do core values exercises i see people come up with <laughs> aspirational core values more than existing core values. We have a real desire to think greatly of ourselves when we are giving ourselves core values. And that ends up being oftentimes aspirational. I always encourage people to do the exercise for themselves, but then do the exercise with a loved one or a coworker or a friend so you can get some honest feedback on what's real and what's aspirational and then I encourage people, you know what? If you have a couple of core values that are aspirational for you, great. Work on those things. What does it take? What does it look like to live that core value? And then make a plan for it. And you're going to be disappointed along the way. But just know that's, that's a work in progress.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're trapped in perfectionism, planning is an awful experience. Mm. Because now you know the gap between what you want and what you have. And that can, there are people that that just bothers, that literally they come to, I cannot sleep, I cannot think about anything else, I can barely eat, I keep thinking about that gap. So the part of change here, and part of avoiding burnout, is being able to to have a healthy dose of self-forgiveness. Of that sense that, you know, this is an aspirational idea that I'm going to have enact that value or have these goals or do these changes. And, you know, the memo that you need to get is it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a bit messy. And when you end up at the end, it's not going to be exactly that thing. It's going to be close. It's closer than if you don't plan at all, but it's not going to be exactly that thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and going in knowing that, you know, it's it's not going to be perfect. There's going to come a moment where the 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 last ten percent of perfection is going to cost you fifty percent more effort. It's like, mm. really, we want to do this. That's also, by the way, something that really frustrates teams a lot when they've got it up to really pretty good, and the owner comes in and says, "We're going to dig deep and get those last, that last ten percent," and but it's going to cost us more effort than we used to get, you know, the first 90. Mm. And and the team's like, Oh God, really? That just doesn't, that, that, that payoff just doesn't sound very good. Mm. It's got to make sense in a practical way.
1: What kind of check-in do you suggest for people when they are in that, that place of having, these aspirational goals, they're feeling themselves as disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I get a sense sometimes that we don't check in often enough. And so oh, yeah. if you're going monthly, sometimes a month is too long and you realize, wow, we have been we did things great for a week and then three weeks of back to the same old, same old. And so now trying to go back to that thing we were wanting to do is, is too far away. It's too big of a jump. So what do you use? How, how do you determine frequency of check-ins with yourself or your team?
0: So the first question that I would suggest you ask if you're making a change, you know, is what is the smallest change that's still a change? Let's not talk about the biggest change. What is the smallest change that is a recognizable and beneficial change? And it could be pretty small. It could be in uh, the whoever's doing scheduling is just a, a bit smoother in their presentation of of the services we're talking about or getting something scheduled. And and but deciding for yourself not what the highest bar is, but what is the lowest bar that's still a change? Your mm-hmm. team will so appreciate that because this is the, oh, good. I can now compliment them on a change because I'm not waiting to the end point of perfection. I've got my, you know, minimum change required here. And then you can bump that up a little and bump that up a little. Um, the other is, am I willing to recognize people who are making the change as they're making it and not use this as some sort of reward at the end, if it's not perfect, you know, I'm never going to say anything about it because we're getting to that old uh, joke about the farmer who loved his wife so much. He almost told her, you know, uh, <laughs> I'd say that's a joke, but the, there are people that actually do that both in their marriages and in their practices, you know, what, once I've built this up, you know, to the, to the highest extent, then I'll finally tell him. It's like, no, that's not the way it goes. Um, I, t- I was talking to a teenager one time who was really pleased with his dad. His dad had made a lot of changes. He was, they, they were really working together. And I just asked the teen, you know, what's, what's the big difference? What's the thing that makes this work? And he said something like, I don't quite have the words, something like that. I know My dad is watching me, but I know that not only does he see what I do wrong, but he sees everything I do right. He never misses a thing I do right. So it's a lot easier when he weighs in on something I just did wrong. Hmm. Again, it's that, okay, I've got a change. I'm nursing here in this team, and I'm going to be looking for the smallest change that's still a change. And I'm gonna be ready to call it out as a good thing over and over and over. And the team goes, he he watches for the change. And he's happy with us nurturing and growing this change. Sure, that gets people going on things. The other the last question is: how long am I willing to take on this change? Um, a lot of people you don't want to change by Thursday. Yeah. And and there are not a lot of changes, particularly the more structural it is, the more systemic it is, you're not going to get it by Thursday.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You're probably going to have to make a lot of other changes before that changes. To prevent disappointment, how about getting realistic about, I'm going to change this over a month. I'm going to change this over six months. I'm going to change this over a year. Now I'm going to be nurturing the change the whole time. But what's realistic for this so that I don't get disappointment disappointed in two weeks if this thing embedded in the structure of my practice has not changed? Plus, well, little proviso with that is I'm not going to wait to start a change until I just cannot stand it anymore. Uh, most changes take time, and you don't want to be screaming at the end of it. So if there's a change that needs to happen, maybe you should institute it pretty soon. Again, that's to prevent burnout, that sort of ultimate frustration of this is just not working.
1: So you touched there on the value of recognition, and this has come up for decades. Uh, Kuzis and Posner in their top five leadership things, one of them is encourage the heart. And in a couple of years ago, I took a Harvard business class and uh, recognition was in the top two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it varies ba- based on industry, people, etc. But it's up there. And I'll be honest, I, I, I feel like I've really uh, maybe exemplified all the things to do wrong. I am what I am. This is another one that I, for a number of years, I didn't give recognition because I couldn't find something to recognize. I was looking for the exceptional rather than thanking for the usual. And that was a huge mistake in team building, in interactions, communication, all of the above. Just that, as you talked about, finding things to recognize is of such a huge value and importance to your relationship, to your work environment, your home environment, all the above that it can't be overstated. That the need, the value to recognize, give thanks.
0: Occasionally I'll hear this really paradoxical remark from from practice owners which is um you know, I really really want team players, but I get frustrated having to give, you know, so much recognition. Right. And it's like, wait a minute team players thrive on recognition. Now, if you want a bunch of solo artists, they don't care what you think, all right? But they're not team players. So, it's 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 like, you know, the kind of person you want, you need to make an environment for them and for m- most dental practices are heavily team players and they and the and the recognition does two things. One, yeah, it's it's what they're looking for. It's it's usually a major goal. But the other thing is it settles the team down. Uh, I, Every team that I have talked to wants to be a good team and they want to be a good team for their dentist. There's a huge amount of loyalty there. And the biggest anxiety on a team, particularly an anxiety that sort of affects everything, kind of a broad brush anxiety is we don't know hmm. if we're pleasing our dentist or not. Right. And so we're all sitting around worrying about it all the time. And the practice leader saying, I don't know, they're just not, they don't seem beyond the ball. I wonder what they're thinking about. Well, they're thinking about pleasing you, but they can't figure out how to do it, or if they've done it, or if and what I'll see teams do is they'll try something that I know it's what the dentist wants, but the dentist doesn't comment on it. And so the team gets confused. So they ditch that, and they try something else. Yeah. And they keep they keep ditching and trying and ditching and trying in this sort of trial and error. And now chaos is starting to descend.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that circles back to the idea of uh, clarity of expectations. What what does this look like in this new idea? What does this change look like in action? And if we aren't saying it, then everybody has their own guess, and they're doing, they're having their own attempt. And like you just said, if that attempt doesn't get recognized, they try something else. So, mm-hmm. to the the person observing that, it looks like they don't know what they're doing. Why do you keep yeah. doing different things? Yeah, it's like well, you have chaos every day. Yeah, I yeah, to- yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good. So, you mentioned there as well the pressure to change, and I think this is another important concept that it's rare for us to change on purpose. It's more common that we change in response to an insult or pressure or a traumatic event. Something forces us to change. Is That's more common than us saying, you know what, I want this to be different and I'm going to make it happen.
0: Uh, you know, I tell my interns that it's really nice to have a client come in who has all these ideas about how he'd like his life to be better. But what I like to hear is when they walk into my my office and their butt hits the chair and they say, I am so sick and tired of this. That that guy's ready to change. The other guy, we just may be talking about it for a couple months, but that guy, that guy's ready to change. Right. But pressure has to be carefully mod- modulated. It's very easy to overwhelm a team. Remember, your team wants to please you. You could just add fuel to the fire by having this sort of grim visage of you're not pleasing me will might increase that chaos we've been talking about as you know, part of leadership is also encouraging, which is we can do this. Yes, there's pressure, but that it's natural and logical pressure. It's not pressure from me, the owner. Yeah, you may you may have those times when you need to but those should be few and far between what you want is where you have a big meeting and you say, you know, it really didn't work out with that patient and they got pretty mad. I know you guys don't want to have another angry patient. What do we need to change? Mm -hmm. Well, see, that's just a logical and natural piece from we don't want another angry patient Mm -hmm. or we don't want to, you know, missbill something or we don't want, okay, good deal that's different than me applying pressure.
1: and that's what I was referring to. I, I think it's it's unintentional pressure that's created that elicits changes and the changes that make that are made from that aren't always the direction that we want them to go. Mm-hmm. They're just fuel for change of some sort. And that's so I think linking those things together, realizing that you are being pressured, and you don't like it allows you to step back and make a conscious decision about what direction you want to go. Otherwise, the pressure is going to continue to build. You're going to make some sort of change. Yes, you're exactly right. Something's going to happen, and you're going to go down a different path, and likely pressure is going to mount again. And that's the cycle of burnout, which we could move to next, in my opinion. That we that pressure builds and builds. We don't make a conscious effort. We don't really look at ourselves evaluate you know check in that that self awareness self management piece and one, one,
0: of, one of the pieces of the the products of too much pressure or the wrong kind is that we make our decisions in order to relieve the pressure not what's going to be best for the practice
1: yeah great great uh clarification
0: thank you that's when you know it's getting to you it's like yeah. i just want it to stop you know, when, when when I start taking the bills and putting them in the trash, I know, okay, my finances are just way too pressurized right now. Yes.
1: Or you're overwhelmed. So you talk of this, you talk about this a lot, this test. When you pull up to the uh office in the morning, do you have a sick feeling in your stomach or an exciting feeling in your stomach before you walk in the door? So I know there are people out there that the pressure builds and builds and builds until finally one day they walk in the office, they see the first patient, they say, nope, cancel the rest of my day, I'm done. Yes. That is a response. That yeah. is a change. That yep. is response to pressure. Mm-hmm. That might not be the best. That might not be the healthiest. Maybe the healthiest for that day, <laughs> for that person's sake. But as that cycle repeats, that is a sign of – yes. Changes are not being done to elicit a positive outcome. They're just a release valve. Yes.
0: My uh, favorite story about that is I had a client who he wasn't a dentist, he, he had a, a company in town. And one day he was driving to work and he was so burned out and felt so bad about going to work. He just passed the offices and he kept driving. And he just kept going. And he said he felt better and better. And and that evening he called his wife from El Paso, which is about 350 miles away from here. <laughs> you know, it's like he just but he said it felt it felt so good. He didn't want to turn around. I thought, well, eventually you're gonna reach an ocean out there and you guys you're gonna to have to stop. Um but that's where it becomes just about relieving the pressure. Yeah. And we don't want to let ourselves get to that point.
1: Yeah, he pulled a forest Gump.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: That's episode 42 in the books. I think it's one of our best, if I don't say so myself. A lot of valuable content there. I hope if needed, you'll go back and listen again. I think Bill gave some great advice, a number of different concepts to keep in mind, even activities to do, things to talk about with yourself, to loved one and your team so use this episode use it to do better work with your team better stay tuned for the next one talk at you there